All the way to sixth grade this morning can go. Three to sixth grade. That can't be said as an age because you might be like me and be 15 in the sixth grade. <laughs> me and Keith. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I heard y'all singing happy happy birthday in here. I really didn't want to be sung to. I'm trying to hold on to 36 as long as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Greg both. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1. Let me find my place. So I got something else I wanted to read to you. All right, y'all there? Y'all wait? Okay, I'm not going to do you a pump it up message because I ain't no cheerleader. I want you to stand in honor of God's word this morning. I'm not reading out of Ephesians, but you can just listen. I want you to read this. I want you to hear this. <clears throat> um, most of you know this verse in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. And listen to what it says. It says, for the word of God. It doesn't say for the pastor, for the worship team, for the, for the church, for the delivery of the message, for the performance. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division or the dividing of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this morning as I speak, I want you to understand, this is what I prayed for today. I, I can't do anything to get to your heart. I can get to your ears. We can get to your emotions. None of those produce anything lasting. Only God's Word goes to the heart. And so my prayer is that this morning that that you open your heart to God's word. I pray he, I pray he splits us wide open. So let's pray. God, we just bow before you this morning. I thank you so much for your word. You've exalted your word above all things. And I thank you that your word became flesh and blood. I thank you that you went to the cross for us and you died for our sins. I thank you that we, as your people this morning, we stand here before you holy and blameless, without blame in your sight, in your love. I thank you, Jesus, that you accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished so that we can sit here free today. God, we're free to praise you and free to worship you and free to come into your presence through the blood of Jesus. And I just pray, uh, God, that... Whatever lies and whatever strongholds that the devil has on people today, God, that your word would set them free. Uh, Lord, for the people who are here, it's undecided in, uh, in their, where they're at with you, Lord. I pray for the lost in a crowd this size, God, uh, surely, uh, lost people here, Lord. And I just pray you'd wrestle with their hearts. 
and bring them to a place to see truth. Open up their eyes and their ears, God, that they would just uh, surrender their lives to you today. God is your people. Lord, that you would that you would just uh, kindle a fire in us. Lord, not some some fire that we come up with, a false fire that we offer. Uh, but God, uh, a fire from being in your presence, Lord, a fire that that builds within us, God, based upon the truth of your word, God, that you would bring repentance in our lives where we need it. Uh, God, that you would just uh, kindle a love in us, Lord, for you and for lost people, for each other. God, that we'd be a true church, not just some gathering on Sunday to say that we did it. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you can be seated. Ephesians chapter 1. I went a little bit into that last, a couple of Sundays ago, but um, I want to read starting in verse 1, and you know how long I preach? I'm not going to preach that long this morning, but I am going to preach what I preach, so if you need to get up and go, it's, it's not going to bother me at all, so don't worry about disturbing. Um, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, underline how many times it says in Christ or in Him. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have... Notice all these present tense words, not we will have, but we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, in Him. And then verse 11 starts again. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. There's a whole lot packed in that that section of Scripture there. So looking at that, you know, when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the believers in Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, you remember that Ephesus was just a, 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 a amazingly idolatrous city, a very religious city, one of the biggest cities in its day, but it was just overrun with idolatry and temples, um, uh, remember the book of Acts talks about it was one of the places, the temple of Diana. And so, remember these, these, uh, Ephesians were Gentiles. They were not Jews. So they had not been taught, you know, in the Mosaic law and the things and the knowledge of God. And, and now Paul comes and he preaches grace and they come to Christ through, through faith in, in the blood of Jesus. And so a lot of their ideas that they would have brought to the table 
would have been what they had heard of and learned of, the false gods and, 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 and the idols and all those things. And, and Because here's the thing, when you come to Christ, doesn't mean all of a sudden you know everything and that your past, as far as the knowledge you have, you're able to erase that and that you all of a sudden know the Bible, you know who God is, you know all the truths. We don't do that and that's why we continue to study God's Word because Jesus said, if you continue in my Word... Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we continue uh, as believers to grow and to study God's Word so that we can come to, and Paul says it so many times in this in this text, knowledge and understanding. His prayer for the church here was that they would grow in the knowledge of God's will, understanding who God is, what His purpose is, what His ways are. And the more that we know God, the closer we are to God, the more we know His will, and the more that we respond to who God is and what He wants to do in and through our lives because we're we're not any different from the the believers in Ephesus so many of us sometimes you're raised in church and 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 it's sad to say a lot of the a lot of the things you hear in church aren't necessarily true there's a lot of men's thoughts a lot of traditions you know that you're taught in church and that's why I always say look at God's word don't just listen to me I can I can tell you wrong and I can go wrong and God's word is the only thing that's true okay and I encourage you always always look at God's word and always go back and study and listen and 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 study it for yourself the Bible says study for yourself show yourself approved unto God and so a lot of us bring things that we have it's sad to say but truly I think in, in today's church that there's a whole lot more of what we know of God that's come from here then what's come from here? We bring our thoughts of who we think God is and what we think God is like and what we've heard from, from this Sunday school teacher and from this mom and dad and from this grandparents and from this believer over here and we just kind of gather all these things up and then we get our own thoughts of God and, and you know what? That, that Honestly, that's idolatry. That's making God out to be something that we think He's like or, uh, and then we get our own thoughts about how God feels about us and, and salvation and we bring all that stuff in there but God, thank God he wrote his word to us and Paul's like, I want you to know, okay, who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you, who God is, because when you look at all the false religions and all the false gods, 99.9% of them are a works-based redemption. It means that, that some of them say, you know, God's got his part and he did his part, but this is your part and you have to do all these things and all these works, all these rituals if you're going to be saved. And so it's man's part and God's part. And then some just have man's part. Whereas if they would have brought this, they would have a total misunderstanding of who God is, what Christ has done. And I believe that there's a large majority of people and even among believers today who have such a great misunderstanding of who God is and that's why so many people you know some of us come to church and we're just guilt laden and we have shame in our life and we're consumed by decisions that we made this week that wasn't good decisions or sin in our life or all these different things that we think God's angry and and we think we're trying to appease God and always trying to hear it all the time we try you need to get right with God and all these words and terms you know uh, Christian language that we've we've brought to the table and yet when you go to God's Word, and I challenge you this morning, okay, because uh, emotion and passion is something that's very strong, and Satan can use your emotion and your passion to grab a hold of your thoughts and your heart, and he can misguide you, whereas we look at God's Word, it's that sword that parts all of the untruth, goes straight to the core, and God says, this is who I am. 
This is absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. I hold it in my hand. This is who I am. This is what I've done for you. Because here's the thing. God wants us to live through Christ. I want to read you a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18. You write these down. <clears throat> he wants you to live your life through Christ. It says in verse 18, For through Him... Listen to this, for through Him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Romans 8.37 says, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You're not going to be a conqueror in your life unless you're living your life through Christ. Most of you know and can quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Doesn't mean you can do all things. Only means you can do and accomplish all things through Christ which strengthens. First John 4 9 said, In this the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And you remember in, in Acts chapter 3 when, when Peter healed the man at the gate beautiful and everybody gathered around uh, and, and they were marveling. They were just amazed at, at this man who had been a crippled beggar his whole life and now he's walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter said basically, why do you look upon us as we have done anything? It is through the name of Jesus that this thing has been done. And so God wants us to live through Christ in our life and live out our lives through Him. And here's the thing. You have to understand who you are. And I believe that's one of the reasons that God's Spirit led Paul to write this. You have to know who you are in Christ. Or you'll never you'll never live your life through Christ. Because mo- most people in their minds spend their lives trying to get to Christ. Most of us spend our days, even as believers, we have such a misunderstanding. We're always trying to get to the Lord. And, we, oh, I just, and here's what we, what we say. I just I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel like I'm close to the Lord. Man, I don't care. You know, there's a lot of days where I don't feel like a lot of things, but when I look at God's Word, I go, that's not true. God's not a feeling. We, we, in this culture, we have made salvation just this great feeling and, and emotional, and, and we made it something where we have this great experience, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to grab a hold of something, an experience, an emotion, you know, an event to where we can lay a hold of that, and basically what we do, if we're not careful, we put our faith in that one thing, that experience, that emotion, that, that event, that ceremony to where we go, oh yeah, I'm sure and I know that I know Christ because one time I did this or I, you know, I felt this and we do all of these things and so we're always looking for something to grab a hold of when we ought to be grabbing a hold of the thing that's grabbed a hold of us. We ought to be grabbing a hold of the truth of God's Word and I know that's laborious and boring to study God's Word and it's a whole lot easier for me to get a, you know, a coke fizzing feeling. But that fades quickly. And you can't battle the devil with your emotional experience. What you battle the devil with when he comes to you with doubt and with fear and with lies is you do the same thing that Jesus said because he said, the word says, the word says, it is written, it is written. Jesus didn't say, you know what, I feel. When Satan came to me, he said, notice what he worked through with doubt. He said, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to be made bread. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus didn't say, you know what, I feel like the son of God. I had an experience once where my father said, this is my only begotten son in whom I'm well pleased, you know, so, so that's how I know I'm God's son. No, he said, he already bowed down. It is written. It is written. It is written. 
And the only way that you'll ever come to a place where you have peace with God and to where you know who you are is when you know who you are in Christ. And so Paul writes this, and he goes through there to tell us where we are in Christ. The first thing he does, he starts off with the will of God. And he says in verse... um, What does he say? He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be... Now notice, this is God's will. When the Bible speaks of God's will, it speaks of God's desire, what brings Him great pleasure. And this is what I looked up in the original language, just in case you know I'm coming with this. It is God's purpose. And so... Oftentimes we, we wonder and we question, so what is God's will? What is God's desire for my life? What is His purpose? Okay? Most of the time we'll go to, what does God want me to do? Right? Are y'all awake? What does God want me to do? Because we do not look at ourselves as human beings, we look at ourselves as human doings. And then we come to God thinking, what do I need to do to make myself right with God? What do I need to do to make myself pleasing to God? What is God's will must be something that He wants me to do. Not necessarily. This right here says what God's absolute will is. He said, having predestined us... No, no, let me back up. Here it is, right here. Before the foundation of the world, His purpose was to do what? That we should be holy... And without blame, before Him, in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, how? According to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. So God demonstrates and tells us, communicates what His will is here. And His will, one of the simplest forms is that I should be holy, that I should be without blame or blameless, without fault, before Him in love. Okay? And I could preach just on that, on that one verse, but I'm not going to. I'm going to kind of hit the tops and you can go back and dig for yourself. Okay? But He says, what is God's will? Most of us would look at that and go, well, I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I hadn't figured out the first part of being holy. If I was to say, are you holy? Most of us, even if we thought we were, we would try to demonstrate some sort of humility and go, I'm I'm not holy at all. But God's Word said His will is that you be holy. Now, holy does not mean that you are perfect as far as you are without sin. There's nobody in this room that is without sin as far as we all commit acts of sin, most of us, every day through the rest of our life. There's anyone who can sit here and say, no, no, I, I don't. I'm, I'm one who has, I haven't sinned. I had a pastor one time said, I hadn't sinned in 23 years. So man, you just, you just failed because you lied. Every one of us, we're going to be honest, we sin, we have sinful thoughts, we have sinful deeds, we commit sinful acts, we, all, all the different things, we can be very creative in our sin. And so in that aspect, we're not holy as God is holy, but the word holy here doesn't mean God wants you to be perfect. What the word means is that we are separated, just as God is separated from us, He is high above us, He's above all things, sovereign. God said that He, His will is for us to be holy, that means set apart for Him. We are set apart from sin through Christ, in Christ. That means I've been separated to God. My, the, the guilt of my sin, the judgment, the condemnation, the punishment of my sin, Jesus at the cross separated me from that, and He set me apart as His own. Not just as, you'll notice here, not just as a slave, okay? 
who has a harsh master, not as a servant or an employee who can be fired, but it says we are adopted as sons, or sons and daughters for you ladies here. Now you think about this. When you have a baby, okay, you don't know what that baby's going to come into this world like. A baby can be perfect. Most everybody says my baby's perfect. But, but, but in reality, a baby can be born with all kind of complications, all kind of trouble. We can have four eyes and two ears and, and, and different, you know, different things can be wrong with this. Or we can be born with a disease. And there's all different kind of things that when you naturally have a baby, you just get what you get and you deal with it, right? I'm not being ugly so y'all don't throw rocks. I'm just being honest. But think about this. When you adopt somebody, you already know what you're getting. You know if that baby has, you know, if something was wrong with the parents. You know what the past is, especially if that child's grown up. You you know, you can see if the baby has any health issues. You can see if they have any deformities. You can see everything that's going on in that baby's past, yet you still choose to adopt that child, taking that child with everything that comes with it. And some of us accidentally come up having a baby, whereas you don't accidentally adopt somebody. And so the fact that God had chose to adopt us as sons, that means he knew everything he was getting when he got me. And yet he still chose to adopt me as a son. And I'm not just a, a servant or a slave because he's never going to fire me. All right? I'm not working my way to keep God happy or keep God pleased. He's pleased with me as a son in Christ Jesus. And get this, whether you like it or not, if you're a child of God, you are holy. In Christ, you have been set apart. You are his absolute 100% desire. And this is the most difficult uh, part for us. It says you, that you would be holy and without blame. If you look at the original language in the Greek there, without blame means that you can never be brought into a courtroom and blamed for a sin ever again. That means that Satan can never come before God as the accuser and go, he's guilty of this, he's guilty of this, he's guilty of this. You know why? Because in Christ Jesus, your case has been dismissed. You awake, man. Like people are like, oh, okay, that's great. Think about this. Most of us live dealing with guilt, and we're and we're sin conscious. Most of us are a whole lot more sin conscious than we are grace conscious, and we feel like hear people all the time because you tell me, I just don't feel like I could ever serve. I don't think I could ever do this. I don't think I could. And why don't you sing? Why don't you come and why don't you worship? Well, I just I don't feel like this and that. You know why? Because the devil's going. You're guilty. You've got this. You got this. God's upset with you. God's angry. How can you live like you lived this week and you come to church and do this? And I'm not talking about being hypocritical. I'm just saying, even people who are striving and they, your desire is to honor God, we all fall and we fail. And the devil wants to pounce on that right there. He doesn't want you to know this truth that God said that His will is that you, and get this, that you should be holy and without blame. It doesn't mean, well, you, well, you should be. That word should be is written in the, uh, let's see, how is it, how is it pronounced? The uh, present infinitive form. I'm not a Greek scholar by no means. Okay, I just look this stuff up. But I looked at that word should be, and it's, it's when Paul wrote it, he wrote it in the present infinitive form. Infinitive means forever. Infinity is where we get our word. Present means it takes place now. That means that right now, in the presence, in Christ, I am holy and blameless before Him, in His presence. That's what God's will is, that you just come to His presence. How many of your kids are absolutely 100% holy and perfect? Don't show me a hand. Okay? 
How many of you see your kids as perfect? A lot of us could go, I do. You know why? Because I don't, I know that my kids fall and fail, my grandkids fall and fail. I don't focus on that. What I try to do, yeah, I'm going to try to help them in those areas for their good and for their safety. But when we get together, I'm like, hey, you can't come in my house today. You know why? He said an ugly word. Hey, you can't come have supper with me tonight, son, because you lost your temper today. I don't care. He's my son. In my eyes, he's faultless. Oh, my daughter, she's faultless. You know why? Because I want them to come into my presence in love. I love them more than anything else in the world. What causes me to want to be in the presence of my kids is that I just love them, even if they don't love me. Even if they don't have it all together. Why do you think God gave you kids? He's trying to communicate who He is and what His nature is in just some small way. And so here God says... And I think you need to tell yourself every day when the devil attacks you, you go, you know what, I did. You know what, I'm holy. And I'm blameless before him. That means I can always come into God's presence. That's what grace, the work of grace is. It's a crazy, very hard to grip for us because we're a prideful, arrogant, self-exalting, want to show God my goodness that I don't have. Whereas grace goes, you don't have nothing. You don't have no goodness. You don't have nothing to exalt. You don't have nothing to brag about. And so God did what I could never accomplish in order that I could do His will, which is what? Just to be in His presence. Even with all my junk, I can come into God's presence and I'm never going to get, stay back, I'm holy, you're not. Some of you are excited about that. Some of you probably need to chew on that for a little while, okay? But, but get this, I want, I want you, I want to read this to you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21, 23. I usually don't jump around, but I do want to jump around a little bit this morning just to do you more of a Bible study than a, you know, a sermon. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says this, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, notice now in the present, He has reconciled, how? In the body of His flesh through His death, To do what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. You know where guilt comes from? Guilt comes from the devil. A lot of us have a confusion about what the work of the Holy Spirit is. Like the Holy Spirit just, well, He just convicts me and it makes me feel so bad. That's not the work of the Holy Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit magnifies forgiveness and grace and the works of the cross. Satan pours out guilt and shame. Why? Because he wants to keep you out of God's presence. He doesn't want you coming before the Lord because then you become very dangerous. Whereas God says, I want you to come. Every time you look at Jesus, especially after the resurrection, His whole invitation was come. Whoever, come. Whoever you are, come. Come into my presence. Because my grace is plenty enough to cover any and everything that you've got in your life. And I want you to come before me. Because listen to this. Before Him is the only place we can be clean. You don't clean up and come to God. You come to God and He cleans you up. Y'all remember that time that... (laughs) It's a great illustration. I think Brother Robert told you, Brother Robert, come over here and, and uh, Cody and his kids. I don't know if Jeremy was little enough then, but I know Cody was out there. And we had a big old red mud pile and it had been raining and raining. And, and uh, Lord, Lord, we was in here talking. Them kids walked in. They were just head to toe, red, red mud. And Robert, we had water in the bathroom. <laughs> Robert's wife got in there. She just, 
Those kids didn't clean up before they come in. They come in, hey, mom, look. And you know what she did? She loved them. She took them just like they were, and she cleaned them up. That's what, that's what Christ died for you. He didn't die to do his part, and then you do your part. Your part is you're filthy. Your part is to come and surrender to the Lord. Your part is to be open and honest to go, I am dirty. I'm filthy. This has happened. And God's like, let me clean you up. Because he's the only one who can. Now, notice real quick, the other, the other parts of the scripture, I won't read it for time's sake, but it says, what is his will? We are adopted as children of God. Let me get back to Ephesians. We're adopted as children of God. Also says, he has, present tense, made us accepted in the beloved. The fourth one is that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's already been accomplished through what Christ has done for us on the cross. And not only that, but we have have obtained. We're not working to obtain, but it says you have obtained an inheritance. Talking about eternal life, a kingdom, and everything that God has for us. Those things, every one of these are present tense. They're already done. And so how does God accomplish His will? All of these things that we just looked at, every single one of them says, this is the spiritual blessings that God has given you or blessed you with in Christ Jesus. These are not something that you're trying to obtain, do be good enough, go to church enough, be baptized enough, read the Bible enough, pray enough, so that God goes, you know what? I, I think that that prayer, that was, that was the, that was the last thing you needed, so now I'm gonna give you your inheritance. Now I'm gonna give you the standing. Now I'm gonna make you right. Everything that we have is accomplished in Christ because what we could never accomplish, the Bible is very clear. You can never accomplish righteousness. You can never make yourself right with God. The Bible even says, can a leopard change his spots? Can a sinner who is a sinner by nature become holy? Please, by all means, stand and explain that to me. Because we can't. No more than a leopard can change his spots. We need somebody who can. And so what man could not accomplish, Jesus, by the good pleasure of his will, willingly came and, and accomplished everything that was required by the law. You know, the law demonstrates the righteousness of God. The righteous and holy demands of God is given to you in the law. God minimized it. And put it together in cliff notes through the Ten Commandments of which none of us have ever kept. Okay, We're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty before God. And so Christ, when he went to God, get this, if you don't get nothing else, when Jesus came, most people don't know that when Jesus went to the cross, he entered into God's courtroom. The cross of Jesus was God entering into a courtroom with his son as my lawyer, my advocate, the Bible says. And Jesus, representing me, took all of my sin, all of your sins. And listen to me, not just, well, that's the ones I've already done. Mm, all of them. Because Christ died before you was ever born. This was done before the foundation of the world in the eyes and the mind of God. That when Christ came, he took, basically, I love to tell the story. I've probably told it to you a hundred times. But when Jesus went to the cross, basically he said, whatever, i just, not picking on Doug, but whatever, i just saying, whatever Doug Baker has coming, you put it on me. Put it on me. And he stood before God and us and God the Father who is holy, who is a righteous judge, poured out what the law of God demands upon sin, wrath and hell upon his son, and his son died representing us. 
Check me on it, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, on down through about verse 6. And then in verse 11, it says, And God saw the torment or the travail of his soul. Talking about God saw the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And I love it because it said, and he's satisfied. He was satisfied. What did Jesus do? He came and did what no other man could do before God. He accomplished everything that was required by the law in order that we could be what? Forgiven and redeemed. We were slaves to sin. Redeems means Christ through his blood, through what he did for me on the cross, through his death, burial, resurrection, has bought me back out of that slavery, redeemed me, and through him I had the forgiveness of sin. What sin? All my sins. Ain't that good, Doug? That's good stuff, buddy. And so in that, <clears throat> here's the part that we struggle with, that you don't have a part. When it comes to your salvation, there is no work on your part. And I could give you a hundred verses on one, but just right there in Ephesians, later on, Paul is stressing grace here. Why? Because idolatrous worship has nothing to do with grace. And if you're involved in a works-based religion, you are an idolater, okay? Because God says everything that he's done was accomplished in Jesus, and here's what God offers. He doesn't offer his part, your part. That's what the law covenant was. God said, this is what I'm going to do. Israel, this is what you're doing. They said, oh, we'll do it. They never did it. That's why the law can't save us. But yet when grace comes along, Christ came and accomplished everything, and grace simply offers us a free gift that we can be forgiven. My only part is to do what? Lord, I surrender. And I totally trust and believe in what Jesus has done for me. We'll look at that and just say, stay with me. I'm almost done, okay? Very important message I want you to get this morning. But you have no part. You have no work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you had any part, you know what you do? Jesus could come and live a perfect life. He could suffer the torments and everything that he went through on the cross. He could be buried three days and defeat death and hell, rise again. And if I had one part, if all I had to do is just simply to be baptized, when I went to heaven and stood before the Lord, you know what I'd do? I would brag about my baptism. That's what I would do, and that's what you would do. We would want some part of that glory because man has always wanted to share in the glory of God. And God said, I have no flesh glory in my presence. And so in that, God provided everything. And that's why it says right there, I want you to see it, that in verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to what? According to the riches of His grace. Not according to the abundance of your church attendance. Not according to the perfection of your obedience. Not according to the depths of your repentance. Not according to the measure of your devotion. But according to the riches of your grace. So that when you walk into the presence of God in glory. No one will look at you. No one will hear you. You won't even pay attention to you. You'll just be standing going glory to God. Glory to Jesus. I'm here by His grace. Every single one who's there. We're not going to stand up and say. Well let's hear your story. Well you know Jesus said me and here we would go but you know what I went to church and I did this and I gave and I helped and I did all that and I'm glad I did enough there won't be none of that that person won't be there who will be there are those who tell the story of Jesus those who said I don't deserve to be here I did everything to try to keep from being here yet by his grace by what he accomplished for me at the cross that and only that is the reason that I'm here so glory and everybody just looks at Jesus and goes ah, ain't that good 
<coughs> because heaven is what, or Jesus is what heaven is all about. Now listen to me. God doesn't save you according to what you have in your account. Some of us think that we have a little bit in your account and that Jesus added to that account and it's a shared account. No, it ain't. It is not. The Bible clearly states that His righteousness was placed in your account. It's just like this. You can go find the most impoverished, poor individual that you can find who does not have a penny to their name. And if I go and find that person and say, I want to invite you to eat dinner with me at the most expensive place that there is, we'll just pick out whatever you want to pick out. You know, the the turning ball in Dallas. We're going to go to that restaurant. I'm inviting you. All you have to do is say, and and that person might say, well, I can't. I can't afford, I'm poor, you know, I can't go, you know, look at me, I'm not dressed or all that, I don't care. All I want you to do is I want you to come and I'm going to pay for whatever you want. I want to get you the best meal that money can buy you. I don't need you to have anything in your account. You know why? Because I'm working off my account. And when you come, you can come as the most poor person in the world, yet walk away being full of the best meal you ever ate, paid for by the one who invites. That's grace. Jesus is the one who is rich in grace. We are the poor in sin. And he says, I want to invite you. All that person has to do go, I can't pay for it, but if you want to, I sure would like to go. And at the point that we humble ourselves before God, recognizing that sin is what separated us from God, understand this, that God, his love for you has never changed. When God created Adam, God loved everything about him because he created Adam in his image. The only thing that janked everything up was when Adam sinned. Sin is the object of God's wrath. If we can just remove that, then everything's great. And the only way that sin is removed is through the blood of Jesus. And at the moment, listen to me, you don't hide your sin, you don't cover your sin, you don't overcome your sin, you bring your sin before God and you ask for the forgiveness of your sin. And God, every time, shows mercy when you trust, not in your own righteousness, not in your performance, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God honors that. And in Him, you have what God's given. Finishing up, because you're ready to go. I'm going to say this. If you need to go, go ahead and go, but I'm going to finish. But when you look at the work of the Holy Spirit, looking in the last verse here in verse 11, okay? The way God accomplished His will was, God thought it, okay? God had a plan before the foundation of earth. Jesus, in the dispensation of time, came and fulfilled that plan through dying on the cross, being buried and rose again. So He made the opportunity, but there's one thing left. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in which there is a union made. In Him, in Christ, means that there is a holy union between the unbeliever and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, in which the Word, you can look at it for yourself, when it talks about being in Him, it means that you have been made one in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible teaches that He is the head, and we are the body. The church is the body of Christ. We are one in Him. So there's been a union made. You're not trying to work your way to Jesus. Make God happy enough that you're okay with Him. God said, you're one in Christ. That's why you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and you are one in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 11. In Him. How does this happen? 
In Him you also trusted, and this is the process if you want to go that way, after what? That you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. A person cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. You can tell great stories. You can give your testimony. You can do all those things, but God works through the gospel. And when you heard the gospel, somewhere along the way, if you're saved today, you heard the gospel that Christ died for your sins, buried and rose again, offered you the free gift of salvation. It says that when you heard that, in whom having believed, don't give me a mental assent. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died. The word believe in the original language means that I have confidence. I am 100% convinced that Jesus is who he said he is and he'll do what he says he do. And that's to save me when I call upon him. My confidence, my hope is not in me being a preacher, me preaching for an hour on Sunday until y'all finally get up and leave. My confidence is in one thing, the blood of Jesus that was offered in my place. And once you believe that, notice this, notice this, get this, because I say it all the time, and you say the sinner's prayer, that's not in there. There's nothing about a sinner's prayer in here, people. There's nothing about walking an aisle, saying some sinner's prayer that's not in the scripture, doesn't say anything about baptism, it doesn't say anything about church membership, it doesn't say anything about a ceremony, taking the Lord's Supper, none of that is in there, and I'm going to tick some people off, and I don't care, okay? But this is what it says. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. Notice that? You heard. Now baptism has its place. Act of obedience, following the Lord Jesus, making a public profession. Has nothing to do with your salvation whatsoever. Church membership has nothing to do with your salvation whatsoever. You heard the gospel wherever you were. You didn't have to be in a church service. You believed in your heart. means you identified, put your confidence in Jesus. And you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing, okay, is the union that takes place where the Holy Spirit, this is what He does. He just washes away your sin, okay? He raises you to life because you're dead spiritually. The Holy Spirit enters into you and gives you life, raises you, and you become one because now Christ is the life that's in you. He literally inside of your soul and spirit raises you to life. It's a picture of what's going to happen to your body later. You've been raised, resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit simply through faith in Christ Jesus, okay? And it says what? You were sealed. Let me read you this. I looked that word up. Sealed means a mark or a seal which signifies security with permanence. And destination. That's why it says Holy Spirit of promise. Well, how long are you sealed? Till you sin? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? That means I'm sealed permanently with the Holy Spirit until the redemption, which means my body when I'm fully redeemed. My soul and spirit has been bought by the blood of Jesus. I'm wholly set aside for Him. That is continuation throughout the rest of my life, okay? Um, the only sin I have now is the sin that abides in my flesh. That's why one day worms and maggots and everything else is going to eat this up, okay? But my soul and spirit is going to be in the presence of the Father because of Jesus. And one day the Lord's going to return. He's going to shout with the voice of an archangel. And those who are dead in Christ are going to be raised up out of that worm dirt and we're going to be given a glorified body just like Jesus has which is the full redemption of what's already been purchased that guarantee also represents what that right there says 
This is why God hates it when we jank up marriage. Because marriage should fully represent the relationship between Christ and His church, even though nowadays it doesn't. But when my wife, think about this, a lot of us, you want to guarantee, when you are saved, listen to me, you're saved by what? A promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. And it's a guarantee. And I was sharing this with Jake before. A lot of us, the way we look at our relationship to God, give me two minutes, I'm done, you can get out of here. <clears throat> but a lot of us, the way we look at our relationship to God, we treat it as if we go, you know what, I hope that I'm one day going to work enough, perform enough, live up to her expectations enough that I can be my wife's husband. How stupid is that? Where, how did I become my wife's husband? <laughs> one, t- one time I stood here. I wasn't here, but it was another church. You know what I did? I made a promise. I entered into a covenant agreement with my wife. She gave me that as a guarantee. It represents a guarantee, okay? And I just, when I, when I said those words, yeah, rich or poor, most of the time it's going to be poor. And uh, sickness and health, the older I get, the more sick I am. Until death do we part. And what happened? We was entering into a covenant before God. And the preacher said, you know, I now, by the authority given me in, in the Lord Jesus Christ in the state of Texas, I don't care about the state, pronounce you man and wife, you may kiss the bride. The covenant was sealed. And at that moment, I'm not still working to be a husband or trying to become a husband. I am. At that moment, I was. I became a husband simply through a promise and a covenant agreement. And my wife and I became one. Get this, man. Don't miss this. At the moment that you come to Christ, you humble yourself and submit to His authority. You trust and believe the gospel. God made you a promise, gave you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, and He said, you know what, I'm coming back one day. And it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. But, but at the moment that you entered into that covenant agreement, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That promise was not your promise. God, I'm going to try to do good, and I'm going to try to be better. That was a promise that God made to you, and God keeps His promises. Ain't that good? So all you folks that's running around trying to please God so you can go to heaven, or that you're trying to be good enough so you feel like you can serve the Lord, God's like, you're holy. You're blameless in love. Every time you come before me, you're sealed. You're one. You have everything. You've been made accepted in the beloved. Quit walking around with your head ducked and taking a beating over your past and mulling in the, you know, because you're not doing this, you're not doing that, God's like, you're a son, a daughter of God, the king of the universe. How can you not shout glory to Jesus is according to the riches of his grace. It's all on his account. Man, we ought to be a people that are just torn up for Jesus. And every time the devil comes against you, all you got to do is say, you know what, I'm holy. By the blood of Jesus. It never changes. It's fixed in heavenly places. I'm just waiting to catch up with my rightful position. I have a seat at the table. Already bought and paid for. I might be the poorest sinner on the face of the earth, but I have a rich father who has everything provided for me, and he's invited me to be there. Oh man, we ought to be excited about that. If you can't get excited about that, you're probably lost. So here's where I'm at this morning. You know what this does? This levels the field. Some of you here this morning, right now, you're wallowing in guilt. You're thinking about your past, you're thinking about the mistakes, you're thinking about the choices, and God's like, I've already paid for that. I've already forgiven that. 
So, well, what if I just did it? It's already forgiven. You just hadn't, you hadn't come to receive what's offered to you. You're in right standings with God only through Jesus. <sighs> so get this. If you're here this morning, you're lost. You have a God who loves you as a sinner. Your sin. The only thing that separates you from everything that God has for you is just your sin. Deal with it. How do, you, how do I deal with this? Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord and surrender. And Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not here to ask for justice. I'm not here to ask for any. I'm, I'm just here to ask for the forgiveness that you loved me so much. You offered it to me freely. I want that. And God goes. <laughs> and at that moment, you become, you become in a covenant relationship with a God who seals you and has you from then on. I don't worship because I'm trying. I don't serve because I'm working. I do it because what's already been done. I am because he was. You stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Lord, I love you, God, and I thank you so much for the truth of your word and the power of it. Lord, I just pray you grab a hold of folks here this morning. I know this don't pay the bills. Lord, I know it doesn't work out all the troubles and the trials that we face, God. But Lord, if we could just see who you are and what you've done, in your presence, bills doesn't mean anything. God, in your presence, guilt has to go. Shame is not welcome in your presence, God. We're overwhelmed by your love and your grace and your goodness, God, that we would just focus our hope and our faith, God, just to be, I guess, enveloped by Jesus and what he's done for us.